communion is a sign of the, of the new covenant. Sometimes we go through the motions and we do stuff, and we don't always experience the full blessing that the Lord had in mind for us when we do those things. I think there's two things that immediately spring to mind is baptism and communion. God gives us these things. They're called sacraments or means of grace. They're things which God gives us because he wants us to experience his life. But we only experience his life when we do those things in faith. And with faith, you need a measure of understanding. Uh, so I've, I've actually asked him just to bring this table. I'm going to put the communion here, the, the crackers and the juice here, just because it's what we're talking about this morning. And uh, I feel like as we understand why God gave us communion, what the bread actually symbolizes, what the, the juice actually symbolizes, that as we partake in these things, um, we'll experience his refreshing in his life. And just wonderful, even as we're worshiping, to experience that life. But God actually has many different means in which we can experience his life and his grace. So that's what I want to do this morning. I don't have to bring all of them. Oh, that, that'll be fine. They're not all of them. Oh, that's cool. Just, just to get a picture uh, hopefully you can see it, or it's not just me, but we've got some juice here and we've got some crackers over here. Um, so Jesus gave us um, communion and he said, I want you to, 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 to eat and to drink as often as you do these things to remember me. Um, and so if we're doing it right, we will experience hope, uh, we'll experience joy. And we'll experience peace, peace of God, if we're doing communion right. If you're not experiencing those things, you probably need a deeper understanding of why. And, 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 and as we do these things in faith, we actually experience the life of Christ. And one of the beautiful things about both baptism and communion is the more you understand it, the more uh, you, you understand the why, the better understanding you actually have of salvation. And so, as I was just preparing for this, uh, why, why do we do communion? Why did Jesus give us these things? I was, I was getting such a beautiful, rich understanding of what it means to be saved. And uh, you probably would have experienced this yourself. I've never yet been able to do a teaching on baptism without talking about salvation and what salvation actually is. Jesus has given us these things as a picture of what it actually means to be saved and to participate in Christ. And so I'm hoping that God will do all of these things as we look into what communion is. Um, maybe to just start with the word communion. It's not a word we use very often. Generally, we only use it in church when we're talking about this kind of communion. But the word itself um, is a Bible word. I didn't actually know this. I probably should have. Maybe it's because I don't read the New King James Version or the Old King James Version. Um, but maybe you can put it up in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. This is the New King James Version. It actually speaks about communion, and it's where we get the word from. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And so when you look at that word, the word actually that we get communion from there is the word koinonia, which is an unfamiliar word because it's Greek, but because we're in Josh Gen, you probably know the word because we love the word, because koinonia means fellowship. And it means this deep, rich intimacy that we have in relationship with Christ, but also the intimacy and relationship we have with each other because we're in Christ. 
The koinonia we have with Christ overflows into koinonia with each other. And koinonia is where we get the word communion, which is cool, eh? As communion with Christ, intimacy with Christ, relationship with Christ. But, but as we'll find, it spills over into communion with each other. Um, one easy way to remember what communion actually is, it's common union. Our common union with Christ. And so it goes like this, but then it goes like this. And we enjoy and we participate in Christ together. And so some of the dictionary definitions of communion would be spiritual fellowship. That's one phrase. I'll give you a couple just to give you a sense of of the meaning of the word. Partnership. Sharing in. Participation. One dictionary definition said the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings. Or an intimate connection. That's cool, eh? We have communion with God. We have an intimate relationship, an intimate connection, a participation in Christ, Him in us, and us in Him, from which we get joy and life and peace and righteousness through our union with Christ. See, we haven't even spoken for two minutes about communion, and and we're already starting to talk about what salvation is, what it means to be in relationship with Christ. And so, we're going to be looking through a passage in the Bible today about communion, and it's an ex- a classic example of how not to do communion. I always find it more interesting to learn about what things are from spectac- like spectacular failures of others. It's always more interesting when you start with how not to take or to do anything, really. Finish the sentence with how not to, it always usually ends with great mirth. Amen? How not to take communion, from there we'll learn what it's actually for. So maybe you can put up 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 to 33. We'll read it through together, and then we'll break it down step by step and learn what God had in mind for us when he gave us communion. So we've got verse 17. There it is. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. May the Lord never say this about our church. For your meetings do more harm than good. What a sobering thing to hear from the Lord. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. So even though they're breaking bread together, he's saying, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. You might be having supper together, but it's definitely not the Lord's Supper. Oh, we lost it. Signal lost. Can you get it back? Oh, dear. Somebody got a Bible. Um, yes, you help me here. 1 Corinthians 11. No, it doesn't have to be King James. Get it back. Find it anyway, in case we lose it again. Don't you have... Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Where did we get up to? 17. Verse 20. So then, when you come together, 
It is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you, go, when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Whenever I feel like we've got problems in our church, I just read the book of 1 Corinthians, eh? At least we're not getting drunk when we're gathering together for bring and share. That I know of. (laughs) Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. This is one of my favorite parts, verse 26. For whenever you drink, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What it's saying there is, we are having this meal, we're drinking this wine, until the day when Jesus comes back and he has a feast with us. It's a prophetic thing we do until Jesus comes back and does it with us. It's beautiful, hey? So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Therefore, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That sounds quite serious. We'll talk about that just now. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That means they died. That's the Jesus way of saying, you died, fell asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, we are judged in this way by the Lord. We are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. He concludes, concludes by saying, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Quite an interesting passage, eh? It talks about communion, but it also talks about a lot of other very interesting things, which we can dig into now. So, a very important contextual piece of information here, which might get lost on us. As you read this passage, you realize you're not too sure, are they at church? Is it a Sunday morning? Are they at community on Wednesday? What is the context? Because it talks about them eating together and some of you having private suppers. It almost sounds like they all got together and then some people broke away and had their own little dinner together. And so the question that gets raised is, well, what kind of a gathering is this? Am I right? It doesn't really sound like a, a, a church morning. And, and the answer to that question is that in the early church, they used to have church gatherings where all they did was eat together and break bread and have communion together. Did you know that? They were called love feasts or agape feasts. And uh, they used to eat together and break bread together. And that was the church service. That was it. Which is cool, hey? It's, it's really cool. Um, and so um, it was in these contexts 
that they would have these meals. And the purpose of the meal, ironically, I mean, it's ironic when you read what's happening in 1 Corinthians, because the whole purpose of the meal was to build unity. (laughs) Can you see now why Paul is getting so frustrated? The whole purpose was to eat together, enjoy Jesus together, enjoy one another, have unity, have that sense of family, that sense of koinonia. But the exact opposite is happening in this church, where it seems like the rich people all went off together and had a lacquer meal, and the poor people didn't necessarily have anything to eat. Some people were getting drunk, and other people had nothing to drink at all. And so Paul was saying, when you're eating together, you are most certainly not having the Lord's Supper together, because that is not what Jesus is about at all. Can you see now how Paul is getting so frustrated? And so you can't talk very long about the Lord's Supper or communion without talking about the body of Christ, which is us, the people. And you'll get some of that ambiguity just now when you're not sure if he's talking about Jesus or if he's talking about us. We'll get there just now. But how interesting is this? In Acts 2.42, it's one of our key texts as a church, Acts 2.42 to 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That sounds really holy and important. That's the Bible, basically. Apostles' teaching has been recorded in the Bible. So that sounds like a good thing to devote yourself to if you're a Christian. But it says, and to the fellowship. Anyone want to hazard a guess at what that word fellowship is? Koinonia. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to pray. Can you see now how those two things went together? They would have these meals, they'd have fellowship, they'd have koinonia, and they would celebrate the Lord, Jesus, through breaking bread together. And so, I want to put this question to you. Do you put those things in the same camp? That something as sacred as the teaching of the apostles in Scripture is as sacred as fellowship. Now, fellowship is just a very Christianese word for saying, hanging out, hanging out together. It's quite a sobering question, hey? It's as sacred and holy to Jesus as a Bible study. Did you know that? Well, now you do. And so, when you're gathering together, maybe in community or on a Sunday, and and your community leader says, guys, tonight we're just going to have a dinner together. My question to you is, do you think that's sacred? That is as sacred to Jesus as if we were getting together having a Bible study. Sobering, hey? Sobering, but in a cool way, that God considers that to be precious. In fact, it's one of the reasons why Jesus died on the cross, so that we could love one another and enjoy one another and be a family where Christ himself lives. Here's another question. When we come together on a Sunday morning, did you know that the pre-service chats that you have when you catch up with one another is as sacred to the Lord as what I'm doing right now? Don't take my word for it. You you read it there, koinonia. They devoted themselves to koinonia. And so... uh, Sometimes there's this tendency to rush on. Like, can we, can we finish up with the chit-chat and get to the serious sacred stuff? I want to say to you, the sacred stuff is the chit-chat, and it's the Word of God. 
we don't love one another and enjoy one another and care about one another deeply, a Bible study is missing the point for you because the Bible points to Christ and the Bible points to His bride, and that's us. Sobering, hey? Sometimes we will intentionally start a meeting late because what we're doing is sacred when we're catching up with one another. Um, maybe you didn't know that. Now you do. If, you, if you're one of those people that taps your foot and says, why does this church always start late? I want to say to you, church started when the saints got together and started loving one another and finding out how everybody's doing. True? It's not my word. It's the word of Jesus. And so our unity happens as we gather around Christ. And so we are united by our unity with Christ. Interesting, it says in verse 18 that there are divisions among you. Paul points out that there are divisions. I won't spend too much time on this, but I'll just casually mention it. It just so happens that in Corinth, the thing that was causing divisions was a people who were highly opinionated and thought very highly of their own understanding of things. And they're divided up into little camps of all the people who agree on this thing, all the people who agree on that thing. And if you've ever needed a picture of that, you just have to rewind the clock to to, to COVID when people divided over silly things and all the people who think like this and all the people who think like that. And so one of the things that Jesus does in his sanctified community brings about a humility where we hold our opinions lightly and we don't allow our opinions to divide us because our unity and our love is more important than our opinions about things. I just mentioned that as a side because it is in Corinth. That is the one thing that Corinth really didn't do well at. The Bible says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And it's talking about arrogant opinions about things which divide the body of Christ. Then in verse 23 to 26, I want to just read, this part is all about the new covenant. The, the, the picture of communion is the picture of the new covenant. It's like a visual representation of what the new covenant actually is and how we get into it. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So he's talking about a new covenant. This new covenant was prophesied many hundreds and thousands of years ago that God was going to do a new thing in his people. They had a covenant, and he promised them that he was going to give them a new covenant. What is very fascinating for me is that the old covenant had a commemoration meal, just like this one. (laughs) The old covenant had a meal, which they called, anyone want to guess? The Passover. Now, they'd have a Passover meal. They'd sit together literally around a table, and they'd commemorate God's covenant with His people, with a meal. And in the new covenant, we get a renewal of that when Jesus gave us this. And so, in the old covenant, they were commemorating God's deliverance of His people out of Egypt. His people, His nation, had been enslaved in Egypt. And God delivered them from literal slavery. And when he did that, he did it in quite a spectacular way. 
He brought judgment on the nation of Egypt, their oppressors, their slave owners. He brought plagues, and he judged their economic system. He judged uh, pretty much every aspect of their society with a different kind of plague. And the final plague was actually death. Death came to Egypt, and their firstborn sons were killed as, God, as a form of God's judgment on the nation. And God gave them salvation. And the way that he did that was through a sacrifice. Every Israelite family was commanded by God to sacrifice a lamb and to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their home. And it was a sign that they were God's covenant people and that they'd been redeemed by God. And when God's judgment came, his judgment passed over their homes from whence we get the name Passover. And they would commemorate God's covenant through a meal, and they would eat a lamb. They would slaughter a lamb, and they would eat the lamb. And as they were enjoying that meal, they would remember that God protected his covenant people, that God delivered his covenant people from slavery. And they would do that as they commemorated the meal. And we do exactly the same thing. When we take this meal, we are remembering that God has saved us. He's delivered us. By his perfect lamb. When, when Jesus came to the world, he had a very strange introduction. John pointed at him and shouted, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Jesus is God's lamb. He's God's sacrificial lamb. And he is the perfect sacrifice. I want to read in Hebrews chapter 11, which is a beautiful book if you want to understand God's dealings with the Old Covenant and how He deals with us in the New Covenant. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Day after day, this is talking about the Old Covenant and the sacrificial system in the temple. Every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, that's Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Just leave that verse up there. Let's just meditate on that. Because of Christ, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Through Jesus, we have peace. The reason why we have peace is because Jesus has perfectly satisfied the righteousness of God. There is a self-help gospel in South Africa that basically tries to make us believe, not intentionally, but it's kind of like a pseudo-religion, that if you're good enough, if you try hard enough, if you're born in a Christian home, if you go to church often enough, you'll be made right with God. You'll be good enough to scrape through. That's not the gospel. Gospel message is that through one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It's through our faith in the perfect sacrifice of Christ that we have confidence. And that's what the very next verse says. It's one of Christi most Christians' favorite verse in Hebrews chapter 10. We'll skip down. Okay, verse 19. We got it. Uh, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. 
It's speaking about the perfect sacrifice that gives us confidence. We can have confidence. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you're feeling condemned, if you're feeling like, I'm not worthy to come into the presence of Jesus, I would say to you, join the rest of us. None of us are worthy. It's through the perfect sacrifice of Christ that we are able to come. So this communion here represents the only way to come in to the presence of God. It's through Jesus. It's through the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. Any other righteousness, the Bible calls self-righteousness, and the Bible says that's the one thing that will keep you out of the presence of God is self-righteousness. That idea that I'm good enough, that I can come on my own merit, that is the one thing that will exclude you from the presence of God. The new covenant is about the new way which God has opened up to come into his presence, and it's through Jesus. It's through the perfect lamb that was slain. I want to just talk about the crackers and the juice for a minute. Now, maybe it's obvious to you why we, we break crackers and juice, but actually I find for most Christians, they don't actually know. And so let's, let's do a little bit of education on that front. So the, the reason why we do crackers is because it's unleavened bread. Unleavened bread means bread that is made without yeast. It doesn't rise. It's flat. The reason why is the symbolic richness in that is that yeast in the Bible represents sin. Jesus was a sinless, perfect sacrifice. He was without sin. He was bread without yeast. Does that make sense? That's why we use crackers. Who, who just learned that for the very first time? Yeah. Hands going up all over the place. So that is why we use crackers. And in the Old Covenant, when they had their Passover meal, they would use unleavened bread for the, same, for the same reason. There is some continuity between their meal and ours. Jesus also said this represents his body. And the Bible says his body was broken for us so that we could be healed. That's why we break the crackers. It represents the broken body of Christ. Jesus also said, I am the living bread. The one who eats of me will never be hungry again. He also said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father. Jesus is the word of God. He brings nourishment to our souls. We might need bread to live, that's true. That will always be the case. But without Christ, the living bread, you will also die. You might die a long, more painful, slower death. But without Christ, the living bread, you will die. Because spiritually we need nourishment, and our nourishment is Christ himself. Amen? And then the Bible speaks about wine, and we use grape juice. Why, 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 why do we use crushed grapes? Anyone want to hazard a guess? Crushed grapes represents judgment. The Bible speaks about the end time there being the, the wine press of God's fury where the grapes will be crushed and their blood will be spilled out. That is a sign, that symbolic language for the judgment of God, the crushing. Jesus himself bled. Because of the judgment of God, he bled and he died. He said, Father, take this cup from me. He was speaking about the wine, 
which represents the wrath of God poured out in full strength. And so when we take the cup, what we are saying is, thank you, Jesus, you took the cup of God's wrath in my place. That cup was intended for me. That cup was supposed to be my judgment, but you drank that cup to the full. Beautiful, hey? It represents the crushing of grapes, which is made in grape juice, which is why we use grape juice, if anyone ever wondered. That's why we use grape juice, why we don't use Tropica or Sprite or something else. It's been a while since I gave my age away with a Tropica reference. I, I get that. The other thing that wine represents is joy. Now, that might sound like a contradiction in terms, but there's many contradictions in terms. There are many symbolic references. Joy is, wine represents joy. It makes people happy. It, 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 it takes away stress. Now, don't go away now, drink wine, but it's a, it's a reference. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit that would be poured out through Christ. When Christ went to heaven, he gave us his spirit. The Bible says, don't be drunk on wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus brings us joy. And as we're drinking of the cup, we remember that judgment passed over and joy was given in its place. Joy of Christ, the joy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he makes our joy complete. So there's actually such richness in just the juice and just the crackers. The Bible says, and I want to go into this, we're kind of coming to a close now, but you won't be able to read this passage without somebody asking, what does it mean when it says we must examine ourselves and be careful not to take of the cup and of the bread in an unworthy manner. It sounds very serious because in this church, people were literally dying because they were taking communion in an unworthy manner. A lot of people have different explanations for that. So when people break bread, you'll often find people being quite serious, thinking about all their sins, making sure that they have made their hearts right before the Lord, before they partake of the communion. That's one way in which people interpret that. It actually has two meanings, and both of them are important. The first one is, it says, without discerning the body. And that's what the part I was saying is ambiguous. Is it referring to the body of Christ, like as in Jesus? Or is it talking about uh, about the body of Christ, like the church? And the answer is both. It is talking about when you take communion, you can be irreverent about it. Don't. It's sacred. It's a memorial which we take where we remember the death and resurrection of Christ. And I think in our culture, that's probably a warning we should take to heart. We don't have to be like long faces and all drawn and miserable about it. It's not a miserable thing. But it is a sacred moment. It is a holy moment. And we remember what Christ did for us. The most significant thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. It's sacred. So we discern Christ, His body. The other thing that the Corinthians were doing wrong was that they weren't considering the body. And they were sinning against each other. They were were being selfish. They were being self-centered. They were being rude. They were being inconsiderate. And so the Bible says you might be having a dinner together, but it's certainly not the Lord's Supper that you're taking because you're not loving one another. And you can't love Christ and hate your brother. Or, dis, or, or, or not consider your brother, or not even care about your brother. And that's another warning, which is why there is some truth in the fact that if you're taking communion, but you're harboring unforgiveness towards your brother and your sister, 
The Bible would say, leave your communion over there. Go make right with your brother and your sister, and then come, because you can't love Christ and not love your brother. The Bible says, if you're wanting God to forgive you, then you need to let, for, let go of your unforgiveness towards your brother and your sister. Can you see that? Makes sense, eh? And so there's this mystical union between Christ and us, and there's this mystical union between Christ being the body and us loving one another is how we love Christ. So I want to close. What can we take from this? Firstly, I want to say that if you are someone who wants to be made right with God, communion tells us you come into relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so you can only participate in God through Christ. That is what communion teaches us, which is also why communion is for believers. If you're an unbeliever and you take communion, but you haven't yet acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you might actually drink judgment on yourself because you're treating something that is holy as if it were unholy. That's not to say you can't have communion. It just means to say you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior first. And the good news is the Bible says God so loved the world, every single person in the world, that he gave his son, Jesus, so that whoever would believe would be saved. So it's an open invitation to everyone. The second thing I want to leave with you, and possibly the most important thing I want to leave with you this morning, is that fellowship is sacred. Don't despise friendships. Don't despise fellowship. Don't despise when the church of God comes together to enjoy one another. Enjoy one another with Jesus. Amen? And whenever we're having fun together, we're not having fun together apart from Christ. So bring Jesus into your friendships. Bring Jesus into your fun times together. And I think that's especially true in Christmas when there's a lot of caring. That's not a Greek word. That's, a, that's an Afrikaans word. Afrikaans word, which means visiting, enjoying one another. It's difficult to translate kair. It's like a, one of those Greek words that has multiple interpretations into English. I'm doing this for you, Liz. You're a... The other thing I would want to leave with you is that when we take communion, remember why we do it. We do it to remember the covenant that Jesus made for us in his blood. It's a sacred thing, but it's a beautiful thing. And remember that God has put us together and that this community is a community of grace. We are united in our union with Christ. And lastly, I want to say that communion brings us hope Communion brings us joy, and communion brings us peace. Why? It brings us hope because it reminds us that Jesus is coming back again. We, de- we have this meal until the day when Jesus comes back and has it with us. Man, imagine having communion and Jesus is at the table. That is what this is supposed to remind us of. That's why we have hope. We have joy because we remember what Jesus has done for us. We have relationship with God because of Jesus.
because of his sacrifice. And we have peace because we don't earn our way into God's good books. Jesus has already become the perfect sacrifice for us. We can confidently come into his presence because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us this memorial to remind us of what you've done. Lord, it's something you want us to never forget, that apart from Christ, we can't have fellowship with God. But because of Christ, we can experience grace. We can experience forgiveness. We can experience love, peace, joy. And I want to pray, Lord, as we take communion, may we experience such grace. Lord, we don't want to ever just go through religious motions, God. That's not what you've called us to. You want us to experience life, the life that Jesus died on the cross for us to have. And I want to pray for us as a church, Lord. May we value communion, but may we also value this fellowship, this holy fellowship, this sacred communion that you've called us to have with one another. And Lord, where we've separated the two things, where we've thought we can have relationship with Christ, but actually not have any genuine love and fellowship with one another, we repent, Lord. That's not what you've called us to. Just would be remiss of me to have a moment like this and not give you an invitation. If you're here this morning, and you acknowledge your need to come to the Father through Jesus. and You've never done that properly. Or maybe you have, but you've fallen away from God. And you need to come back to God through Christ. And have your sins forgiven. And have the perfect righteousness of Christ be credited to your account. The Bible says the bad news is you can't come to God on your own credit, on your own good works. It's only through Christ that our sins can be forgiven and we can be made right with God. If that is you here this morning, I would love to pray with you and have one or two people just, not to embarrass you, but to pray with you because it is the free gift of God. Salvation is the free gift of God. It's something He offers to us that we accept by faith. We repent of our sins and we believe in Christ. If that is you this morning, don't you want to just slip up your hand? Not to embarrass you, all our eyes are closed. We've all done this. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. But if that is you, I would love to have someone pray with you. Is there anyone like that? Not to embarrass anyone, but it's the most precious gift you could ever be given. Don't leave this place without being made right, reconciled with God through Jesus. Anyone like that? Okay, cool. Just for the rest of us, I do feel like the Lord wants to smash like a false conception this morning. Okay, cool. Tansi was just saying it'd be cool to just explain the, the how. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that now. But just, I feel like there's a moment where some of us might have fallen into like a Pharisee mode where you're doing spiritual things with God, but you've forgotten the sacredness of fellowship, the sacredness of these friendships, this church, this body, this family that we have. And it feels like the Lord wants to break that mindset this morning.
So just wherever you are, if you felt like this morning convicted, like, Lord, I want to not only consider like the spiritual things spiritual, but also the fellowship. Just repent of, of that before the Lord right now. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to treasure your body, treasure this family, treasure these relationships as much as I treasure the spiritual things of the kingdom. I want to spend time with these people. I want to enjoy these people. I want to share my life with them. Some of us have accumulated wounds and scars over the years, and sometimes it causes us to withdraw our hearts. And the Lord wants you to give your heart again. It's a part of what it means to be in communion with Christ, is to be in fellowship with His bride. And then just in terms of practically, when we break bread, 